0: 17 minutes it is before 8pm and uh, you tuned into uh, Metro FM talk here on the mighty Metro with myself Ayabong Atawe and uh, it's uh, our wrap of the top business stories and uh, joining me to do this is uh, analyst at uh, Emergence Investment Managers and that is Noluanjie Mtombienin. We speak to Noluanjie for the first time this year. Noluanjie, compliments of the year.
1: Yeah, Pila, compliments for you to you too. Happy uh, to be back at Film school.
0: <laughs> indeed, indeed. I certainly hope you had a restive and uh, energizing break.
1: No, not at all. Yes, um, for me, um, they are just becoming about getting more tired and having lots of activities which not related to work. Okay. So, <laughs> oh, no rest. <laughs>
0: okay. We'll have to hang in there. But Noluanje, uh, uh, just as we, uh, I guess, take a look at some of the uh, top business stories, uh, I think much of the stories that came through today, uh, certainly in the world of business, had a political bent to them. And I want to maybe start off, I guess, with one uh, that, uh, you know, might have a relatively lesser of a political bent, and that's uh, the story of Glencore. And they're in talks, it seems, now with uh, Tesla to supply uh, the uh, factory that uh, manufactures electric vehicles with cobalt. Now, that's uh, one mineral that is a certainly uh, highly desired mineral and found in large deposits in the Democratic Republic of Congo uh, and also in Australia, among many other places.
1: Yes, so um, it's going to be it's a key input into electric vehicles, so it really has a huge demand on the electric vehicle side. Um, in terms of the relation where Glencore fits in, is that Glencore has mines in in the DRC, so many of its you know copper mines and cobalt mines are there. So this is a way for them to find the demand for for the supply that it has on store. Mm-hmm. Um, cobalt, although it doesn't is, is is very little in terms of its contribution and production. In fact, um Glencore had to close down a mine um, you know, last year um because it was just the, the cobalt prices were just dismal. I mean mm-hmm. they were under pressure like most of the minerals it operates in. And also in the back of the fact that the DRC in got a fifty percent super tax on profits. So DRC has been a very, very, very tough region to operate in for, for Glencore. Um but I think they, you know, wanna at least at least make use of the cobalt resources that it has. And, you know, with the Gigafactory just opening from Tesla, you know, there's a supply, uh, there's a demand there that it can use. And, you know, there could be a good agreement in terms of, you know, selling through and getting production out mm. there. Have, has Glencore
0: managed to sort out their issues with the the uh, government in the De- Democratic Republic of Congo?
1: So, I mean, it, I think it's always an issue, whether it's the Canadian or the UK, not the UK authorities also, the fibery and DRC. Um so there's still, you know, a lot of in terms of, you know, the the mine itself and the taxes, there's still a lot of things going on there. And I don't think anything is fully resolved yet. Um, but they're still running operations there and if you know there's also like a collapse of a mine also there where some people died. So there's been quite a lot happening in DRC. Um so it's not there's still a lot of things going on because of so many scandals and, and, and unfortunate things happening there. Mm. So it's still still unfortunately still still dark clouds hanging over them. And it's just it's, it's regional. Have to navigate because so many of the asset bases are there, um, you know, copper production, you know, it's, they've got big mine there. So it's not like they can just you know pull out of the region. And um, they have to kind of work through, and also they have to you know you know get through the process of of the of um I mean, redeeming their reputation because it has suffered a lot of reputational damage um, over the last four years exactly.
0: Mm. Mm. Let's uh, stay within, I guess, the sort of energy space. And uh, it seems now that, uh, this particular battle that's uh, in the high court uh, between ESCOM and NERSA over multi year price determinations um, is uh, taking on some uh, very interesting. Uh, How do I put it? Very, very interesting shape here because some of the things that we're hearing here from ESCOM is to say, you know, uh, the crisis that we find ourselves in from a liquidity perspective has very little to do uh, with the state capture or some of the governance issues uh, that have happened at ESCOM, but uh, more to do with them not getting a cost-reflective tariff from the regulator. Yes, so I
1: think it's quite a move to, you know, take your own regulator to court. Um, and very much, you know, unprecedented. And, you know, I remember there was a speech I attended with the chief economist of ESCOM, and he was just shocked that, you know, they're actually taking that route. Um, as far as the actual, you know, taking them to court, I mean, they, you know, ESCOM would make it seem as if, you know, no hasn't done anything, and, you know, they've just been not getting tariffs, and they deserve the tariffs, that so they're entitled to them. Um, you know, the sense of entitlement in how they're approaching this, that they're supposed to get exactly what they want. So the whole idea of them being, you know, being also regu- regulating prices is for them to intervene in terms of how much the tariffs should be. It's, it's that's what they're mandated to do. So I think, you know, you know, they need to also understand that, you know, the the state capture is a problem because the state capture resulted in costs being so high that revenue cannot be covered by the expenses, mm. and also the debt pile has been has been going up. Um, you know, that's a no brainer. So the fact that they're saying that there's nothing to capture it captures, it's it's kind of sounds like the opposite of what the, the numbers say. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, to take your regulators quite serious, I mean, we as consumers have watched the electricity price go up and up and up. There's no one here, the consumer is going to say, you know, no, hasn't been doing anything, hasn't been giving, you know, giving them you know, to ESCOM. So, so, you know, it's definitely not like they're doing something. And, you know, they've been doing this, they've been experienced, they've got a framework of doing this. And they weigh up the options. They they they've got you know they've got a method of calculating what is this. At the same time, they have to also have consumers' interests as well. They have to balance those two things. Um, so you know, obviously, I think you know going to courts. I think it's going to if something needs to settle in court, that's fine. I think you know we have a strong you know judicial system. So if this is what needs to happen, because you know if it doesn't get a resolution, we can see Eskom, you know, trying to you know get in exorbitant inflationary increases for the next five years mm. to cover their own misdoings. So yeah. I think you know, the, you know, know, they, they need to just suck it up and find it, another way to make it work. But, what, I, I but a right, what,
0: what, what do you make of ESCOM's suggestion that if they don't get these cost-reflective tariffs, that that might present a much broader fiscal risk for uh, not only just the ESCOM and their own sort of liquidity and solvency position, but the entire South African economy?
1: Yes. So, I mean, that's what they're going to say. That's that's, what, that's the line they have to use. What other line can they use? <laughs> we have to do this, otherwise this country's going to fall apart. You know, that's exactly what they're going to say. We expect them to. They can't say that, oh, we need this just to get us through the month. You know, they have to make the situation sound as dire as possible, so that the court can, can, you know, look at this, because the court exactly to throw it out if they think it's rubbish. So, um, they have to come there with something that sounds very urgent. Um, in terms of, you know, the you know one comment I've heard is that, you know, they could grow, if it's so dire. What about big municipalities that oh, mm. you can collect from there? So, you know, that's the thing. If it's so dire, why aren't you taking the biggest steps to collect from those that 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 you know, thirty billion um 30 billion municipal debt bill, which is the same amount they want to claw back from from consumers because mm. of the rate hikes? Huh? So, I think I'm not quite convinced of that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah.
0: Certainly a tough one here, and I'd love to hear from some of uh, the uh, Metro FM talk. Faithful, what are some of your views on that? Uh, Do you think... Uh, I guess ESCOM uh, is really trying to talk up their own case here uh, by uh, the Armageddon scenario that they're painting, or uh, are they also, I guess, uh, scared that uh, if indeed the revenue that is allowed to them by the tariff uh, determination might uh, even suck up uh, whatever bailouts they might receive from the government, as many people have suggested? Love to hear from you. Give me a ring: zero eight nine double one zero double three double seven. No Let's take this brief break, and on the other side, we continue.
1: Business wrap of the day. The Monday. on Metro Fm
0: talk with Metro FM talk. seven minutes it is before 8 pm and uh, you tuned into Metro FM talk uh, here with me Ayabonga Kawe. it's our wrap of the top business stories and joining me to do this is noland Mtombeni, analyst at emergence investment managers now nolanev what do you make here of uh and maybe two things right the first one is uh Titombowei and uh, I guess uh, his uh Uh, Twitter behavior here, but uh, one, his comments on uh, the uh, Reserve Bank saying, look, he understands the position of the organization, but uh, he feels uh, that that is uh, the wrong line. And uh, then, of course, uh, much earlier, I think sometime last week, uh, him posting a bush there of, uh, I don't know if it's the hemp, cannabis or marijuana plant, and uh, suggesting that, hey, it might be a potential a revenue contributor to the fiscus if it were to be legalised. It seems here yeah, that uh, he certainly started 2020 uh, off uh, by going out on a limb.
1: Yes, and um, he certainly did. This is from someone who, you know, is almost going to take a take quit Twitter. So I was quite surprised for him to come back with such a strong force in 2020. Hey, and yeah, and yeah, he, he you know he took um, a stand, but then again, he's. Peter, in comments that he's made before, I think he's, he hasn't changed his stance in terms of the Reserve Bank, for instance. And I think for him, you know, the Saab is a, is, a, is, a, is a soft spot for him. I mean, he was the first uh, democratically elected governor um, of the Saab, and under the Saab, I mean, he he did a tremendous job. He got us through, you know, the GFC, um, and you know, he, he knows exactly everything that he needs to know about the Saab. So I think, you know, he understands, you know. The, the importance of, you know, our major institutions being, for example, the Reserve Bank and the finance ministry. You, do that is, you know, those are kind of um, you sacrosanct know, institutions in our but, democracy. But, I mean, should they be?
0: Should they be in this kind of global context that we find ourselves in, where, you know, much of the playbook, I think, post-2008, um, I wouldn't say has been thrown out, but uh, has really come out uh, much more amended and might not only just be on monetary policy, but even when it comes to other you know issues around uh, you know capital controls uh, right through to uh, even trade policy. If we look at what's happening in many countries in the world, so can we still you know say these are the holy cows? You don't touch them. These institutions are sacrosanct.
1: So you know what typically happens is that if you were sitting here in say twenty thirteen and you know twenty twelve between twenty twelve thirteen, the economy is doing good. None of this was even a topic of, none of This wasn't a topic. No one questioned the role of treasury and the role of sovereign. It's now that the economy is coming under pressure. Now we, you know, looking for things to try and, you know, take control of the economy and finding fingers to point and and things to take over. Mm. So this is a cycle again. This is a cycle, and people are reacting to that. You know, now we are questioning things and you know, trying to, you know, this should be direct. we should have national bank. We should have this, 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 and this. But you know, when the economy was pumping, things were going good. You know, the question of the sub is never. I remember when you know, you know, before even you know. Um, the situation came in you know, under, the, under Joe Marcus. Swab so, was never in the news. The only time we heard about Swab was when there was a rake decision. It's the only time. So, you know, I think it's the current predicament. We've got state catch. we've got low growth, we've got corruption. For a lot of things, it's forcing us to, you know, react and you know, find to reclaim our country. Mm. So, land reform, it's all about trying to, you know, reclaim the country and, you know, people are being poorer Inequality is growing. So it's not improving, and employment is getting worse. So these are obviously, you know, reactions to the current predicament of what it is. Yeah. But this is it's a transient state that we're in. It's a cycle. You know, things will change, and you need these institutions that have gotten us through this far, who've been strong and yeah. you know held held us together to be weather the storm with us, so that when we're kind of good you know, we still there. we've still still got
0: credibility mm. as a government and as a, as a Look, country. I mean, no longer. I, I certainly hold um, hold no can for the alt, what I view as a very sort of ultra-conservative monetary policy line that, that the central bank has mm. pursued. But I must say, I mean, I, I'm yet to be persuaded uh, on the other side of the debate about what just nationalizing it is going to mean. Surely the debate should be around what then becomes the mandate and even, uh, I guess, the operating philosophy of that central bank And uh, what that then means for inflation targeting or even a much more, I guess, balanced exposition of what that mandate is.
1: So, you know, in terms of you know ownership, it really you know won't change anything to be honest, mm. you know even if we nationalize it means nothing um you know the ownership has no' control the reserve bank um you know it's policy making decision making it's protected by the constitution so to be honest we we we're fighting something which is really not that major issue. it's one of those things where should you fix it if it's not broken you know you know, if you look at globally, we're only one of eight, um, um, if, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, countries that have private ownership of the Reserve Bank. So the global norm is to nationalize. Um, so I think, you know, the actual important discussion here is that we need to, you know, reserve you know, the, c- protect the SARB. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the ANC did come up saying that they're going to protect the mandate. And, you know, the SARB has come out um, as, as, as as been you know, criticized heavily by investors community in terms of hawkish nature and how, you know, you know they, they, they're too hawkish. Um, but if you look at where inflation is now, um, you know, the governor successfully, he had a plan. He literally had a plan to say, look, we, we talked to 6%, which means that inflation, is, you know, gets, it's, 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 it's guide around 6%. When you start talking 4.5, 4.5, 4.5. Come out and say 4.5, 4.5, 4.5, 4.5, 4.5, so that the mindset of people should, you know, anchor around 4.5 as opposed to six. You know, that was what that that was the job of of of, of the governor. And it's not necessarily because you know the inflation is there because he put it out there, but you know, it's it's kind of a way to get people thinking about this is where it should be. Mm. You know, any kind of inflation, you know, just that people start thinking 4.5 as opposed to six. You know, it is a, a way to get thinking around whether it's, it's the private sector also. If you get to think that inflation targeting should be at 2.5, which ultimately is good for especially our currency as well yeah. and the general economy. So, you know, you know we, the mandate is solid. You know, what the government and the, the mm. governors and the board there is, is, is to our benefit we can debate whether there should be interest rates, interest cuts, you know, because, you know, maybe their projections have been wrong. But the fact is, you know, of course, as a weak currency played a huge role. Um, you know, the new inflation number that we're talking about is 4.5. It's not 6 percent. Huh.
0: Yeah, and uh, I guess uh, the point you're making is really around how important inflationary expectations are in the determination of uh, the Monetary Policy Committee around some of these issues. And uh, it's certainly uh, something I guess will uh, be much clearer on tomorrow when uh, uh, we hear the outcome of uh, uh, the first meeting of uh, the MPC uh, for this year. But uh, just uh, before I let you go, Noluanje, the board of the Nuclear Energy Company of South Africa resigning. And it seems here that Mantashe, uh, according to their version, has been ghosting them
1: yes i mean, I think that's true because you know i think i all these all these things that have happened have been really below radar, and I feel like they're only coming out now so um I think you know the nurses i mean the nexa has been you know underperforming financially for a number of years now um obviously um has only stepped in now recently in his role as as, as minister of, of of energy um but you know obviously there, this has been uh, i think it's more frustration than anything. So, you know, in this time, we probably didn't prioritize it, and the board is probably tired of, you know, flagging this as a problem. We need funding, you know, we, we, you know, which is another SOE from struggling. Um, but it's more of, you know, maybe, it's not really seems to be a corruption issue like many of the or maladministration like many of other SOEs. So I think you know I think you know the minister does probably have a lot in his plate. Mm. But you know that's the role of the minister, right? You know you gotta do your job, cover all your bases, and deal with this, and um, you know look at it because it does you know it is it is it's a small part. I mean the, the next itself is. But its job is to do research in nuclear energy, and it does, you know, maybe supply smaller amount of to to the to the global market and foreign and and um, exports. Not really big; doesn't contribute a lot to the country. Mm. But if we took about nuclear, maybe twenty, thirty years from now, um, it starts here today, where we we look at what we've got now and keep it and maintain it and be able to sustain it.
0: Okay. No longer. We'll have to leave it there, Saswam. So and I uh, wish you all the best okay. uh, in uh, 2020, and look forward, of course, uh, to catching up with you uh, periodically to take a look at what's happening in the world of business.
1: Thank you. You too. I won't. Awesome stuff.